This is The Authentic Professional. Real discussions with real people who work real jobs and live real lives. The Authentic Professional is hosted by Jacinta Gallant, a collaborative lawyer, mediator, and conflict trainer who decided to bring more of who she is to what she does. I'm Jacinta Gallant, and with me as always is my co-producer, my daughter, my colleague, Taylor Smiley. Hi, Mom. You're smiling. It's Friday. Yeah. Well, it's Friday when this is recording. I don't know what day it'll be when it actually hits the airwave. That's true. If it isn't Friday for our listeners... We're sorry. (laughs) But we're hoping you're having a good day and that the weekend isn't too far away. Recording this podcast felt like we were definitely on a weekend having a good chat with some friends in Pittsburgh, Lisa Standish and Deb Gilman, who talked a lot about, well, balance. Yeah, and they are balance goals, seeing as they recorded their podcast while sitting on their couch drinking wine, which is something we don't have in front of us right now. I know, and it's Friday afternoon. Yeah, we should have thought this through. You know, we should get a poll from the listeners. Do you think that Taylor and I would do a better introduction to the podcasts if we waited till Friday afternoon and sat on the couch drinking wine? Probably more entertaining. I don't know about better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I first invited Lisa and Deb, I asked them if we could talk about reaching across disciplines because Lisa is a lawyer and Deb is a psychologist. But by the time we finished the interview, I think you and I both knew that this had to be more about work-life balance getting away from the idea of busyness as a badge of honor and accepting that you can't have it all. Yeah, you guys talked a lot about not being able to have it all. And I don't know, it just got me thinking like, what is having it all? What what all do we need to have to be, I don't know, successful or happy or whatever we strive to be? Yeah, it's a really important question, especially when you're starting your career as you are. Yeah, and I almost daily feel like I definitely do not have it all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in the face of stressful jobs, stressful situations, it is hard to sometimes find that grounding. Uh, One of the things that I thought was helpful about this interview was the level of acceptance that both Lisa and Deb showed to the fact sometimes it's a shit show. Yeah, yeah, I really liked that too. Because especially in probably any job or profession, you feel like you always have to be on and you always have to be perfect and things always have to be going smoothly at work and at home. And like, when does that ever happen? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like even even today, we're having some fun on a Friday afternoon, but this day has been crazy. Sometimes you just have to accept that you're not going to be doing everything and being the best at everything, even if you're someone who has a pretty high standard for yourself. Wait, you can say that? You can do that? Yeah, uh, well, apparently the doctor says it's actually recommended. Well, if Dr. Deb says it, then I believe it. (laughs) Yeah, listeners, I think you'll enjoy um, the description of of what happened to Deb when she was a young psychologist (laughs) uh, and she got questioned about her priorities. So enjoy that. 
So if this podcast in the end is about balance at your stage of your career, how do you find balance? I think it's hard and maybe it it varies day to day, but I think balance to me means doing things that allow me to be my best at work and at home. So making sure I exercise and get to yoga and spend time with my dog and see my friends and my family, I guess means I'm going to be better at work because I feel fulfilled from that side of my life. And I guess the same goes for doing well at work and helping clients and meeting deadlines and all those things helps me feel fulfilled in that side of my life so I can be my best at home too. So I don't, I don't know. It doesn't, it does seem like one side of that equation is lacking sometimes and sometimes the other is. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if it's about just being able to accept that. Yeah. And I think you guys said it best in the interview. Everyone feels like they should always be busy and they should always be on and be doing things when maybe we need more time to just be. Yep. To be human beings rather than human doings. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So listeners, I hope you enjoy this interview with two very good friends of mine. In this episode of The Authentic Professional, I'm going to chat with two friends from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Lisa Standish, a lawyer, and Deborah Gilman, a psychologist. I guess we could also call her Dr. Deb. Funny thing is, they are sitting on the doctor's couch, having a sip of wine, chatting with friends, and I don't know that there's anything more authentic than that. So welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you, Jacinta. We're so happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. So I know you two are lots of fun, and uh, I've tried to, you know, put some discipline around this by saying at least talk directly into the phone and try not to interrupt one another. (laughs) So that might be a challenge. (laughs) That may or may not happen. Right. (laughs) Well, let's do the best we can. I am calling this episode Reaching Across Disciplines. I'm wondering, what is it that connected the two of you? a psychologist and a lawyer. We don't often cross paths except if one of us is cross-examining the other. So, right. Yeah, so I met Lisa when I was going through my collaborative basic training. Her husband, Bobby, was in my training class, and uh, he and I sat near each other and did some group things together across disciplines. And then that evening, there was a happy hour at the hotel where we were having the training and, and I got to meet I Lisa. Came. Of course. Lisa. <laughs> I just showed up for the happy hour. <laughs> and so it was really great to actually meet Lisa and that she was a seasoned professional. I was a little intimidated being a psychologist in sort of like this collaborative lawyer's world and kind of, um, you know, jumping across disciplines. But, um, you know, she was gracious and amazing and so welcoming and we got to talking and we really hit it off and found out that we had a lot in common and I think that just grew yeah I mean since then I think we realized how alike we are um how we share similar values and views and so we started doing more work together in the collaborative sense but also started doing presentations together um and you know in general just having fun yeah hang out together. Yeah. yeah, having a good time. So 
interesting and uh, i mean we could we could laugh about this but actually i know bobby too and i i kind of like him so he's sort of the he's the glue that brought us together as well as a visit to pittsburgh that i had i think it was three or four years ago where you all were such wonderful hosts and i had such a good time lisa yeah and i feel like that that was a great time oh my gosh that was great yep yeah well deb you and i, and I had some fun together yeah, I was going to say, I had to, I was staying at the hotel because of the construction that was happening on the highway to get to the uh, the presentation that you were doing. I didn't want to miss any of it. So we stayed up after that first day and had a lot of fun talking and getting to know each other, shared a bottle of wine. And, you know, I felt like I had known you for a really long time, not just, you know, eight hours in a training that day. And I thought, you know, wow, I like that this woman, Deb, will spend the night by herself in a hotel room and treat herself like that. Yeah. Like I thought, I remember when you did that, thinking how cool that was. <laughs> Thank you. So the doctor could teach us all something about work-life balance and, and, and maybe a little bit about self-care. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's another reason why Lisa and I really gravitate toward each other because we found out quickly that we have that same perspective, that we really value our time with our family, with our children, and that we also value ourselves as professionals, but realizing that we can't be good professionals if we don't participate in the other areas of our life that make us really fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know, I'm number one. Like, I have to have all my needs met and take care of myself before I can do anything else. So, uh, I don't think that's being selfish. I just think it's being being good to yourself so yeah. that you can be of service to others. And nope. we find ways to combine work and pleasure very well. Oh. So, like, last year we had a conference and we stayed at a hotel, spent a whole day at the spa, had a really nice dinner, then the next day we did our presentation. So yeah. we do a really good job of making sure, one, that we prioritize ourselves, but we also – you know, look out for each other and make sure we're doing the best that we can as humans and as professionals, which is really important because you don't get that a lot in our careers. Right. I mean, I think especially for lawyers, we have this culture of busyness where everyone is talking about how busy they are and it's a competitive thing to, you know, for someone to say, oh, I worked so late last night or I worked all weekend or I've worked every day since God knows when. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of like to mess with them and say, and I, don't, I can't say fuck. <laughs> Actually, this is the authentic professional. So if, we, if you would say that in your natural right. environment, you can yes. say it here. So I, okay. I like to fuck with people and be like, you know what? I got a massage yesterday. Or, you know, I didn't get to work until 10 today because... I was at the gym and then I took my dogs for a walk. I, I want to kind of remind people, well, you have to take care of yourself. You have to make yourself a, a priority. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting to even have to talk about this today. When you think right. about it, when you think about it, I can remember when I chose, after having children, to work part-time, I recognized that I had the choice because I had another income earner in the house who happened to be you know, my husband and father of my children. So in recognizing that that is in so many ways a privilege, when I was talking to other lawyers, um, particularly women, 
though not exclusively, I would often get this look of cynical, must be nice, as if no oh one else, God. as if no one else gets to actually make the choice. And I want to honor and acknowledge that there are so many people who financially do not get to make that choice. But when you can yeah. make the choice, I, I often, I, I often was, it would almost make me defensive. Like, well, listen, I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm, I'm just being me. It's, it's, it's like some people, I said this before, as soon as someone says they're vegetarian, everyone's trying to justify why they only eat fish or something. It's, it, there's something funny about making a choice that's your own and expressing it and people somehow want to fight you on it. Yeah. yeah, that's my my most hated phrase. It must be nice. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know how many times I hear it, and I just say, "Well, yeah, it it really is." And I'm very lucky, and I'm very grateful that I can make the choices that I make. I mean, I don't want to sound like a brat by saying, like, "Oh, you know, I get a massage or I go to the spa," but and I I think the biggest thing is my gratitude in that I can do those things, and I'm not you know, I, I'm not a single mom or anything. Yeah. I even think that even when I was in training, um, you know, I worked in the hospitals and I had very career oriented, driven women who a lot of them didn't marry or have kids. And so it was always um, a negative thing when I didn't want to be at work at seven in the morning because I had a baby at home and I wanted to do the things that I wanted to do to balance or if I didn't stay really late or if I didn't volunteer for call on the weekend. I mean, we had to take call as part of the rotation. And if there was an open call, I didn't necessarily always volunteer because I had a baby at home, you know, and my husband's very capable and amazing, but it was like, I want to be there to be with my, my kid. And I felt shamed for it. And it caused a little bit of tension with my direct supervisor who was single and older and very accomplished, amazing, lovely woman, but she didn't get it. And she didn't get me and actually said to me that I may have a problem with my core being because of my priorities. Oh. And I said, really? I don't think so. <laughs> so, so Deb, does that mean it, it, it's true? I, I've heard that psychologists eat their young. Yes. You would be surprised because we're not supposed to, right? We know all the knowledge and the and we have we've read the studies and we know about development and attachment and all those things. You think that you would want to maybe prioritize that in the people who are working in the same field. So it's like do as I say, not as I do. And I learned that kind of quickly within our field that I could promote attachment and I could work with families who were struggling and I needed to reflect on, oh, wow, am I doing what I'm telling other people to do as well? And I was like, huh, maybe I'm not. And so that's why balance has been so important to me, um, you know, probably before I had my son, but especially when I had him, you know, in 2007, my whole life changed and it sort of was a wake up call, but I can still be really successful and balanced and happy being a mother, being a wife, yeah. all those things. Well, and I think like doing what we do, seeing what I see every day, I, what, oh my God, I'm going to absolutely go home and hug my husband and kiss him and just thank him for the relationship that we have and, and put our, 
So I'm for, in my mind, I'm first, then uh, my husband and I, our relationship is second, and then my kids, like it all just flows down. It's this trickle-down mm-hmm. effect. Um, and even more so because of what we do, because of what we see all the time. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's valid. And that's why I think that we really get it and that we can yeah. support each other just as women, as mothers, as people that want to make sure that we prioritize what's right and that we feel is right. Maybe not what everybody else feels right, but what we both agree on in our lives as we started out, like these are the things that we felt are right. And so it's nice to be able to have another person who says, you know, yes, that's yeah. good. You know, good for you. Like I remember that one day we were talking and I was in the, I was on the phone getting ready to go get my nails done, which is like my, you know, hour of just like peace. Even in the middle of the day, I'll go get my nails done instead of, you know, having lunch sometimes because it just gives me that sense of pampering. And you were like, good for you, you know, go do it. And that having somebody cheer you on instead of saying, must be nice. Right. You know, even if you're having a hell day, you'll still be like, that's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm always trying to encourage that when I hear other people talking about even little things that they do for themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to encourage that in others. Yeah. Well, it's or interesting because it's interesting because didn't didn't I listeners? I, I I should have warned you that this would happen. But I mean, it's we all we have so much to say. But what about you know what I've learned over the years too is that making the choice and finding that balance. It's still not easy. I mean, sometimes people will think, oh, wow, you make it look so easy because they're missing Mm -hmm. those, I don't know, those hours of sometimes agony trying to figure out priorities, trying to plan to have enough space mentally to make room for yourself so that you can continue to do the work that you want to do to help others or to be with others or, or let's, how about this, to be truly present when you're yeah. with oh, the God. people yeah. that you're with in that moment. It's hard. Right. Lisa, you, you have yeah. some, you have a practice and you're also doing, you know, you're teaching yoga and bringing mindfulness to your own work as a lawyer. Can you, can you say more about that? Uh, I mean, I think it's always hard for me to be focused on what is happening right now in front of me because I have, I'm, I am juggling all these balls uh, and, and trying to do too many things at once. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Just like I think everyone else is. Um, so it's always a struggle for me. I, and balance to me is never being totally balanced, like scales are balanced, but it's one week I'm this way. The next week I'm, you know, tilted the other way. And that's the way that you maintain balance by being unbalanced. Does that make any yeah, sense? Yeah, I think do right. that and putting in those rituals that you that we put into our lives. I mean, like, you know, how do you leave work at work? How do you not feel guilty about turning your phone off or not answering those calls? Yeah. And then when people, you know, clients like, well, I was trying to get a hold of you last night. I was trying to do. Yes, I realize that. You know, how do you like let people know who you're working with that you may not be available 24 seven because our culture says be available. You have a cell phone. You're always on it. You can access your email from anywhere. Everybody else is always available. And it's weird to be the people who are like, Nope, I have a boundary. I'm not going to be available. And it feels really, sometimes you feel guilty and you feel bad about 
not being available because you should or you have to. Those messages we send ourselves that I think I'm always working on as a person to try to figure out how, again, that balance and how not to judge myself, how to be like suspend that judgment of myself to be mindful and to be aware and then to be able to say, you know what, maybe I do because this one particular case is difficult or this one patient is going through something, I can be available to them if I need to be. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I think, you know, we're always kind of trying to maintain that kind of balance and it's, it's really impossible. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. We can't do it all. No, we no. can't. We can't. As much as I like to think that I am superwoman and I can, <laughs> it's not, it's really not realistic. And so, you know what? Like sometimes it's just a real shit show. And I think that's the thing that with, that we value is being able to admit that, just yes. like you said, yes. because there are so many people who don't admit that or feel like I can't say that because that will make me look like I'm not enough. Maybe I'm not a yeah. good enough professional or I'm not a good enough mom or good enough wife, but being able to say like, I just can't do it all and have that support system around you to people that say, okay, what do you need? Or we got you, or, you know what? You don't have to be just having people around you that you feel that you can be vulnerable with yeah. and safe with. I, I kind of like to, I, share a lot how like I'm I mess shit up you know I think it makes people realize we're all we're all incredibly flawed (laughs) but isn't that great isn't that awesome that we're all just our own shit shows I mean, I love, I, I love the metaphor of the hundred acre wood. You know, there's sometimes I'm piglet, sometimes I'm owl, sometimes I'm Eeyore, although not as often as a lot of, you know, a lot of people struggle with that more than I do. And, but sure. my goal is really to be more like poo. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely poo. But working with clients. like I'm too like. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've been accused of a bit of having Tigger tendencies as well. All right, but <laughs> yeah, let, let's agree. get let's get down to it, though. I mean, our clients don't want to hear. Lisa, you know, you've got clients going through very big emotional disruptions facing a separation and divorce. And tell me a little bit about how you show up in the room with your clients, knowing that you're pretty comfortable being you, pretty comfortable being authentic, you know, dropping the occasional F-bomb. How do you bring that authenticity yeah. to clients and how, you know, how do you see that playing out in, in your work? You know, I think that people appreciate your realness. And I think that when, when people leave my office, they usually say that they feel so much better. I think now with the internet, people can find that information all over the place. And so I can give them the information, but I think that what I give them that is more valuable is connection. And I think that's what, I mean, I I think that's why we're on the earth, but people can find information anywhere. They're looking for connection, particularly I think in, in our country right now, when everything is so uh, divisive and so full of conflict, they're just looking for that personal investment, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, I, I, 
I think you're right. I mean, that's that's certainly been my experience. It's not the stereotype of what people think they're going to get when they go to see a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, even my offices don't look like an office. I mean, my my walls are different colors. I have um, like fun, you know, inspirational things on the walls. It's not um, it's not your typical office. I hard. The only time I wear a suit is when I go to court, which is very rare these days. Um, but I, I think they're kind of surprised, like when they, after they meet me. I mean, they initially come usually by way of my website, and I think they get a little flavor for for me there. Yeah, there's a bit of a warning um, there. But then after they meet me, it's totally like yeah. But then I'm curious, just to stay on the whole path to to being a lawyer. Tell us about what led you there and what was law school like for you? Um, well, uh, I was the first generation in my family to, to go to college even. So uh, I just kind of, I mean, I grew up very blue collar and, you know, part of my family values were accepting people as they are and um, being of service to others. So I really thought that law school was the best way to do that. And in law school, I was more interested in criminal or family law, simply because those were the areas where people had the most at stake. It was the things that were most important to them that were on the line. Um, and I, I just happened to get a job in law school at a, a family law practice, um, a small firm in Pittsburgh, and just took it from there. I mean, law school... I think I was very different in law school. Well, I think just with age, anything, you know, I was more stressed out then, more worried about what people think, more worried about my performance, more worried about just everything in general. Um, I think, I don't know, with age, you kind of get beyond all that crap. Mm -hmm. So one more question that I'd like to ask lawyers you're in a social setting and you don't know everybody there. And so you're introduced to someone and they ask, what do you do? And they mean, they mean, what do you do for a living? So how do you answer? Uh, sometimes I say I'm a yoga teacher and a collaborative lawyer. Uh-huh. <laughs> I put yoga teacher first. <laughs> it's, it's a but, funny thing. But then they're like, oh, really? <laughs> that brings it together, though. That defines you. Yeah. What's that? Well, it's a, it's a, it, it, the description of you fits because of the stereotypes of what people think if you say you're a lawyer. I mean, many of us yeah. are very cautious about saying that in certain social situations. Well, what about psychologists, Deb? What's the, uh, I know. What's I the problem don't there? don't want to say I'm, <laughs> sometimes when I say I'm a psychologist, someone goes, oh no, you're analyzing me. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. That's too much work. <laughs> Unless I'm getting paid. Nah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what yeah. led you down the path of doing all the way to all the way to your PhD in psychology? It just sounds like, you know, isn't that a bit of a try hard? <laughs> well, I initially wasn't, uh, when I was an undergrad, I was a biology major. And so I was always interested in development. I thought I was going to go to med school until the second semester of my freshman year. I took an elective in psychology called infancy. 
And um, there was this wonderful professor, Karen Adolph. I did not know how amazing she was sitting in her classroom because I really didn't know anything about psychology. I didn't take psychology in undergrad. I mean, in a high school, like some people do. And this was my first exposure to psychology. And I loved her class. I thought she was an amazing teacher and I looked forward to it the two days a week that I had it. So I told her after lecture one day, I love your class. I look forward to it. I get so much out of it. I am so uh, happy that I took this class. And she walked with me all the way back to her office and we talked and it turns out she was like, and still is one of the huge pioneers in psychology. She was the one who discovered when babies have depth perception so she is, you know, tremendously famous in the psychology world. And she really talked to me a lot about uh, her lab and what she does. And why don't you come back and you can see the babies on the, the, the cliff. It's like this little, uh, you know, platform that has this plexiglass where they test, take babies crawling across it. And I was just really amazed by this woman's openness and how much I really um, – got out of seeing someone actually do work that I had never even, I guess, maybe knew was out there. And this is what psychologists could do. She unfortunately left Carnegie Mellon in 1997 and went to NYU, where she's amazing. But um, I continued to just be, you know, excited and curious. And I connected with people at the University of Pittsburgh, which is really close, and um, other researchers at Carnegie Mellon, and I really started to think about what makes us resilient, how do we develop, and realize that I think I wanted a career in psychology to understand what can contribute to people being their best and what takes away from that. And I had another really great mentor my senior year, and she said, apply to all these clinical programs. I had no idea what I was doing, really. I mean, I had, like, all this research experience, and I had um, been on other people's, you know, publications and presentations, not really understanding the magnitude of that, just kind of falling into these things because I was curious and excited and wanted to learn as much as I could. And then I got into a couple different programs, and I chose Tulane, and, you know, I loved it. And when I was at Tulane, I did a lot of understanding um, risk and resilience and doing research in adjustment and trauma, working with a lot of families um, there who were dealing with some pretty, um, you know, maybe community things, interpersonal things that really gave me a great breadth and depth of what can happen if you have people around you who support you and can help you go from places where you might be at risk to places where you can really um, be resilient and, and, overcome that stress so I think that that was something that was amazing and I think in my own life you know it was really it was really cool that I was able to maybe apply some of that my husband actually was an officer in the Marine Corps and after 9-11 was stationed overseas in missions that I was not allowed to know about didn't know if he was you know going to make it through those things and I was in my third year of grad school so trying to continue to do that. And somehow, like, I don't know, my mom was always like, you're like Scarlett O'Hara, like tomorrow is another day. And I never understood what that meant until I realized, like, that I found ways to be resilient, found ways to figure out how to deal with things that were really hard, not only for the people that I worked with, but then for myself and then for 
um, you know, my relationship and, and all these times of uncertainty, how to set yourself up for that. And so that's sort of what I've tried to do with my career is work with, with families and children and adolescents who are in this really formative period, trying to get everybody through adjustment phases with the healthiest outcomes that you can. And I think that's why I gravitated to divorce too, because that seemed to be such a prevalent thing that was happening. And I felt like I could, I could be very helpful in that realm because it was, it felt like it was so, there was some, it was, there were ways that we could change it and make it better. You know, I like what you said about, um, you said something about being curious about ways that people can be their best selves. Mm -hmm. And I think that as, collaborative professionals on a team that's what all of the professionals should be asking you know no matter what discipline you're in you know just from that kind of arena that you're in how in that arena can your client be the best you know person there is yeah yeah i think it's like a common thread that we should all yeah kind of and then, look, and then sort of look at, say, when have I worked in unhelpful ways toward my goal? When have I worked in helpful ways? I never say good or bad or positive or negative. It's like, when are you making, what, what patterns in your life are helpful? What patterns in your life are unhelpful? Just like with our emotions, you know? I mean, there's all these books about be happy, find your happiness. And I agree, like, happiness is great, but there's a lot of times where we're not happy and that is okay. Like we need to know, okay, I'm having trouble right now. Why am I in this place? Not like, how do I get happy? It's like, let's examine why I'm feeling this way. And it is such a powerful thing when you can sit with distress, you can tolerate whatever feeling you're feeling and not feel like, but I should be happy. Uh, No, you shouldn't. Not everything in life is going to make you happy. Even things you think are going to make you happy. Like, You know, I deal with people that are getting married. I'm so stressed about my wedding. Yep, but I should be happy. Wow, I mean, it's stressful. (laughs) The caterers and the the DJ and your mother-in-law and your, I don't know, the the money. I mean, all these things are little stressors and like you just shouldn't just be happy, but let's figure it out. Sometimes it's sitting in the muck and the mire, right? Like sitting in the discomfort and figuring it out from there that can be really transformative for people and that's you know that's what I like about our professions too is it's kind of coaching people whether you're a lawyer or the mental health professional or the financial professional coaching them through sitting in that discomfort yeah well you know we, we see so many couples in our work who have only been parents for a short time maybe a couple of years, maybe five years. And I've often, I don't know, I've often felt that we need to have a different approach to help families be more resilient, be more connected and be more realistic after the birth of children. You know, the three of us here are mothers. And, you know, it turns out that I, I liked the baby years. They, they really, actually, they were my, it was a pretty good thing for me. I enjoyed that time. And I was, you know, in Canada, so you get a year off, you know, when you, after you have a baby. So it's, that's kind of good. But I want to say that I remember friends and I remember clients who were struggling so hard because they felt that they couldn't say, God, this sucks. Or 
fathers who, you know, six months into babyhood and they're still thinking they've lost their lives because they, and they haven't yet really connected to this new being in their lives and they feel guilty. All the strains that go on couple relationships after babies are born because we keep saying it's supposed to be the best time of your life. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, what I, what I'm loving about this conversation is that there's a, there's a commonality around your vision, like what led you to the professions that you're in. And it was around being of servants, being of service, approaching things in a way that would help, help others be resilient, grow themselves, find their own way through things, but also with some support. So what about this whole across disciplines thing? I always like to ask non-lawyers, you know, what do you think of us, Deb? <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I, I actually have a really good relationship with a lot of the lawyers that I work with, even ones that are non-collaborative. And I sometimes think they don't know what to think about me because I'm very honest with my uh, like my assessments or my evaluations of what's going on and I really don't um necessarily hold back in terms of what I I think is going to be helpful for a family or for a, a client or a case and so I think that I love hearing from the insight that attorneys have and hearing from them about their client and what their client sort of needs or what their client hopes for and then I love working with them to say, and this is what we know can be, uh, you know, effective for this family or that can really help this family through this really important adjustment phase. And a lot of the attorneys that I work with listen, you know, some of them don't, though. <laughs> so I have some people that just say, well, too bad, Dr. Gilman, this isn't, you know, a collaborative world anymore over here or this isn't the way it is. But when I work with collaborative attorneys, they certainly um appreciate and understand what's underneath a lot of the things that we as the the coaches or the mental health professionals do in the process and they're open to hearing it and I think that's that shift that maybe comes with doing the collaborative work and saying we're all here to make people's lives better and to get them through this really important trans uh transition in their lives in a way that has the least damage and I, um, I appreciate all the knowledge that you have. Like, I want to learn from you. I want to learn how to deal with this particular kind of person, or I want to know more about how to help them through this period. It, you know, I, I just see it as another, another source of, of information that is super useful. Yeah. I remember when I started working collaboratively, I just liked being around the mental health professionals because they listen, you know, like they're not, well, except for Deb, they're not trying to talk over you all the time. <laughs> but did you, did you notice that Lisa suddenly I'd, I'd meet, you know, one of our mental health professionals, colleagues, friends for lunch. And it was like, oh my God, that was a monologue. Like I basically talked for 45 minutes and you listened. Thank you. And I didn't even pay you, so maybe I'd buy lunch. But there's a, there's a huge difference in the, across this discipline, usually, in that lawyers are trained to do more telling, to do more analyzing, assessing, and telling. 
And our colleagues who who uh, go to school in psychology or social work are often trained to listen and ask good questions. And so what I find with you two is that a friendship can can uh, a friendship can help connection a lot more deeply. Um, but also, I think that as professionals, there's something about your common values that must have made this click. Yeah, I mean, I really think so. And I think there's something, too, with just the way that um, Lisa practices law that resonates with how I like to focus my psychology practice and really thinking about that mind-body connection, thinking about how do we bring into our lives that sense of non-judgmental acceptance, that sense of wanting to understand where people are coming from instead of assuming we know their story because you know we see this all the time it's like that danger of the single story where we assume we know because oh we've heard this before right but instead of just assuming i think that lisa does um ask questions and she does want to know and she does even value the fact that maybe the mental health professional can get at those questions in a way that maybe the attorney can't or that the client doesn't expect the attorney to do. And so it's nice to be able, when I come in with sort of a perspective and say, hmm, I found out why we were having difficulty at the last meeting. Here's what was going on. And we asked the right question. It's welcomed. It's not like, well, we are here just to focus on law 101 and we need to move forward and get them to settlement. It's really like, okay, now how do we deal with that issue at the table together to allow these people then to move forward? Because they can't move forward until we resolve this thing that's sitting here. But Lisa, we didn't go to school to be team players. We didn't go to law school and our, (laughs) our entire profession does not invite team playing. But isn't it so much nicer? Oh. I, I absolutely love being on a team. I, I'm just a team. I think just I'm more of a, an extrovert. So I get my energy from others. So I welcome everyone's input. It's not about me. And so I work better with other attorneys who have that same attitude that it's not about me. It's not about it's not my show. I want to take the the knowledge of the whole group and and use it together. I, I mean, it's crazy when I uh, I didn't do any of my yoga training until I was in my thirties, and when I and it was it was right around the time that I also did my collaborative training, and when I would hear things in collaborative training that you know themes that were echoed in my yoga training, I thought, oh my god, I am totally in the right place. Like this is absolutely where I need to be. <laughs> so for I mean there's 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 so much stress and anxiety out there in any profession and certainly in this season of the the authentic professional we're focusing on lawyers kind of lawyers as human beings. So thanks Deb for for sticking around with us. But I I hope that I'm just wondering like what are some things that people who are listening who are not settled in an environment where they can work authentically and in a way that integrates their personal and professional values. I mean, Lisa, thinking about law, what advice would you give to someone like that? I mean, I'm always trying to tell people to go out on their own. I mean, I, I don't know that you can, I think it's hard 
to the culture that bigger firms have. It's just a harder place to, to live and, and work in, you know, and I don't know that all of them are, are horrible. Um, but certainly if you can practice with like-minded individuals on a daily basis, I mean, your, your life is, is much better. Um, you know, quite honestly, I don't, I think it's hard when people work in a larger firm to to have balance, to to be more authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, it, it it's a tough one. It's tough to say that. It's hard to. Yeah. It's it's hard to be working in as a lawyer, and I I think that. I can probably describe you in this way too, like a, a really highly effective lawyer who chooses to work in, I think right now it's a non-traditional way. I certainly think this is, you know, the way that we work is going to be the, the future. Um, but, mm-hmm. but I always worry that when we, when we share our, you know, the pleasure of working in our own design the way that we choose to, that we might get some listeners who go back to that whole huh, must be nice. And I, I right, you know, right. and, I, and I just think we need to encourage people that there are ways that you can do this work that allow you to integrate who you are. Because of course, thankfully, everyone in the world is not like, you know, you guys and me. I mean, we like to, you know, think out loud, have fun, be extroverted and get our energy from being together. And so in this show in particular, I want people to be able to feel inspired and encouraged to be themselves, whatever that is. And that there are, there are ways that you can do that. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe the doctor has the last word on this. I mean, what are the, what's the value psychologically about working in a manner that's true to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think that that resonates probably with all of us. You know, I know that even as psychologists, we're not used to working with other people. I mean, your work is alone, one-on-one, or maybe with that, you know, the client that you have in private, very private, you know, ways. And so to be part of a multidisciplinary team or to be with professionals who see things the way you do is um, really amazing. And it's really fulfilling because... For the first time, you're able to go across, you know, disciplines to help people. And I did that a lot in the hospitals. There was a lot of integration between, you know, the the different staff members to try to help a patient move forward. So to me, it feels very natural, again, to be with really um, intelligent people who have expertise in a way that I don't. And to be able to work together is is amazing and I think for people to find their authentic selves even if they are in that law firm that they that maybe doesn't understand you know what they need to advocate for themselves a little bit and say this is where I see my career going can I get this can I get this growth seek out opportunities you know talk to other people and say this is what I really want to do with my life how do I do that how can I get there and maybe there's a way to do it without going out on your own, or maybe you have to go out on your own to really get that to the place where you want to be. But or sometimes maybe it's just really keep advocating for for different policies in the work environment or 
or to always be the person who suggests, hey, let's have a yoga class. Uh, hey, let, how about we uh, have some different work schedule where you work a, you know, a, a different structure. Um, but keep suggesting these things. And keep at it, and hopefully something will click. I mean, I think that everyone now, I mean, I hear a lot about mindfulness, and the Bar Association now has a health and wellness uh, committee. I teach yoga at the at the annual bench bar retreat. Um, you know, I, I think the more that people see it and the more people are faced with it, the more it kind of sinks in. Yeah, I think modeling it, too. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think if you can model the things that you want to see happen and see change, that yeah. can be huge because you're not just saying it. You're you're living you're it, it and you're doing it. And people see, wow, that actually looks like, you know, that person is successful. They have cases. They work well with people. And they can still, you know, make it to the things that matter to them. They have that balance. And you can help other professionals do it. And We've had, you know, we've had talks um, with the Allegheny County Bar Association about that work-life balance mm -hmm. and about, you know, not burning out and how do you do it and really just having even a roundtable discussion about what are the tips and tricks you do to leave work at work and to, to bring some more balance into your life. So part of it is just maybe education and, yeah. and living it, you know. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, honestly, this, this brings to conclusion the theme that we started with. It It sounds like maybe just meeting some other people outside of your own profession, getting out of your office, getting out of your silo, and understanding that there's a lot of different ways that people live in this world. So, wow. Hey, thanks for talking to me. I, I can't wait till I see you again. I guess it'll be not till we get to Toronto in October. Toronto. Yeah. 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 So thanks so much for joining me and uh, take care. Enjoy the rest of that wine. Thanks. Thanks. Take care. Take care.